We are loaded today. We got the first round of the draft in the books. Booker McFarland from Vegas. We got Matt Ryan, now the starting quarterback of the Colts. We're going to get some story time with him as well. And I'm going to talk about the NBA playoffs. Some of those series wrapping up last night and life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. The OGs of my NBA podcasting history will remember that we actually used to do Gregorian chants for some of the top performers at times. People seem to like it. It's been a while. But I thought it was it was needed. It was needed after history being made and Chris Paul's perfect game six against the Pelicans. Let's run through it. Uh, the Suns move on. Plucky Pelicans team. Very tough. That's not really the story here, though. Chris Paul. 14 of 14 from the floor, 33 points, eight assists, five rebounds, the most playoff points without missing a shot, most playoff field goals without missing a shot. And he absolutely carried this team. Uh, if you think of his, <laughs> he had 19 points in the fourth quarter of game one and in game three. And he was needed last night because look, the Suns were down 10 at the half to the Pelicans. You're like, is this actually going to go back to a game six? We knew that Booker was back. Uh, he clearly was a little limited. Hit that huge shot late to the left side. Aiton was terrific, but still, there's always this moment with Aiton where I just worry about him a little bit with the basketball in his hands. He needs to be stronger with it. Um, but Chris Paul, once again, showed why I have defended him as much as I have. Now, if you look back at his recent history and some of these closeout games, let's take a look at the last three closeouts. Uh, game six against the Clippers. 41, eight assists, four rebounds. He was seven to eight on threes with zero turnovers. Uh, and that's when Pat Beverly shoved him. Game four against Denver. That series is a little bit easier in that sweep. Suns and four guy, 37 points, three boards, seven assists. He didn't actually take a three, and that was because they were just abusing Jokic and some of the mid-range stuff, all right? So in these closeout games now, going back to last night and then the Denver series, he's shooting 77%. Uh, in the regular season, he and Booker actually closed clutch times in regular season games um, at 57% each. They're both right at 57%. So what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that like anybody goes, because what's, what's my favorite thing to say? Our least favorite thing to do is to change our mind. I don't think at this point, if you were anti-Chris Paul, you watched last night and you said, oh, you know what? I get it now. Um, because you know what's going to happen is that there's another game four right around the corner, whether it was game four in this series where he just didn't make many shots, uh, game four in the finals last year where I remember watching this going, what is wrong? And then we found out later he had surgery, but it just didn't make any sense. The campaign was being given the basketball back to close out some major possessions. And then you had round one against the Lakers where he hurt his shoulder, where he was in the single digits for five of the six games against the Lakers, who were also hurt. 
So as I throw all that stuff at you, and Paul has the game that he does last night, and we spend a lot of time on who's top five and who's top ten. I love doing it too, all right? So I'm not I'm not criticizing the exercise of going through this and going who's top ten, who all these different things. There are ten guys who can do what Chris Paul did last night. There just aren't. There aren't. So are there better players? Sure. Are there more skilled guys? Yes. At 37 years old, soon to be, as Reggie Miller keeps reminding us. I I get it. But you know, sometimes in a basketball sense, we need these playoff moments to remind us we're going, all right, I know what this guy can do in the regular season and certain players that I argue for and use their stats and certain players that have great stats that I still argue against. And I'm always going to do that because I just don't want to completely give in to look what this guy averaged. He's better than this guy because Chris Paul's a lot better than the guys that put up huge numbers in comparison to him. And he proved it again last night. Let's talk about the Sixers and let's talk about responding and real toughness. Because that's what it was last night. Incredibly impressed with the 76ers. Now, I know what you're saying. Hey, the Raptors didn't have Van Vliet. There is a side Van Vliet discussion in there for the Raptors. You know how I always talk about some bigs and series where it's like, you're not just going to completely take a guy out of the equation. Although Memphis has done that with Adams, where I think at times, like, is it worth throwing him a few other minutes? Anyway, Memphis, Minnesota will do that later. Uh, Van Vliet defensively, and I also, I think, a little bit more limited than peak Van Vliet. I mean, he's not playing in the games. Uh, it was hurting Toronto defensively, so that felt like it was part of the story of their turnaround, although I'm sure they would have loved some of his shooting during that disastrous third quarter that we're going to get to here. But Philly, you know, hearing the whispers, all right, and Embiid, who hasn't had playoff success, even though I like Embiid, and Harden's playoff resume, which I'm sure you're aware of now if you're listening to this podcast, Maxie's unproven, Harris, who can disappear, Danny Green, who doesn't necessarily hit a ton of shots, is playing more minutes because Thibault isn't playing the games in Toronto. And then Doc's own history of his disastrous blown leads, which he tried to address this week, which I also understand why he did it. He felt like, hey, can we add a little nuance to this thing that I keep getting shit on now for years and years and years? It's like, yeah, but they're on your resume. And an all-timer was staring him in the face. Now, again, it's 3-2, it's but you're at Toronto in Game 6. Nobody would have picked Philadelphia if they had lost this game in Game 7 because they would have. And I'm not sure that I would have picked Toronto to win game seven because I don't think this version of this team is terrific. I think they're a little tough to play. They've got all this length. Who knows? The the, the variance in shooting alone could be the reason why uh, this happened Philadelphia, they, the assist. But, you know, the stats part of it with Maxi going off, Danny Green carrying him for a stretch, and B doing what he normally does, Harden making a lot of plays with his passing, although I'm still worried about peak Harden because I don't know if we're going to see that this year. Well, actually, you're probably never going to see it because now I started thinking back to like 18 and 19. And like, why would I think he's going to look like that again in 22? So the biggest part of this was, all right, this could get a little weird. <laughs> We're feeling some of that pre-doubt pressure. How will we respond? And the Sixers absolutely respond. I mean, they smashed him that third quarter alone. They made every shot. Toronto couldn't make anything. So it was a combination defense. It was a combination of Toronto not being able to take care of the basketball. Maxi going off when he needed to. So I thought that Sixers win was, was serious. It was like a wake-up call for them and a wake-up call for us to take them more seriously against Miami. So very impressed with them and how dominant that third quarter was like, all right, enough of this shit. Let's just do this and blow out this team that we just know that we're better than despite the whispers of how bad this could potentially be. Final one here. Dallas advances past Utah. Bogdanovich misses a wide-open three that would have sent it to a Game 7. Uh, that did not happen. Dallas advancing for the first time since 2011. Luka has a playoff win. Now, uh, he was terrific again. They went Gobert hunting. They shot 53% of their shots from three and made 
That's kind of the story. They went small, like we thought after game one into game two. They still flirted with Powell at certain times. He was not part of the closing group. So you look at the, sh- the three-point shooting and go, okay, how is that Gobert's fault? Um, I'm going to bring some Gobert stuff to this, but I just want to throw that in for Dallas. And I wasn't one that was looking at Luka as an all-time great. Uh, let me not say all-time great. Let me say currently one of the great players in this league. I had him top five for MVP, first team All-NBA. But it would have been weird if they were to lose to a Utah team that nobody likes, which is still a possibility. I picked Utah because of the Doncic part of this, and I ended up being wrong because Doncic did come back and he looked even stronger as the series progressed, so I feel good about that part of it if you're Dallas. Um, but I wasn't necessarily like anti-Luka going, hey, what the hell, how come this guy hasn't won a playoff series if he's so great, which is a very popular thing to do. That would have happened and would have been warranted had they lost to Utah. So Dallas moves on. Let's take a look at Utah. Quinn Snyder, the first question, will he stay? He's got a year left in his contract. Uh, He's been there eight years. He's now the fourth longest tenured head coach in the NBA. There have been whispers all season long that he's out of there and that it'll be up to him. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, This is a a jazz team that is third in wins over the last six years. Regular season wins, they are third behind Milwaukee and Toronto. Um, They were a one seed last year. Statistically, they've they've held up really well in a lot of key areas, whether it's three-point shooting over the years, their offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. The team could be deeper, but I think on the fly, what Justin Zanuck has done by adding, you know, Bogdanovich, by bringing in Mike Conley, who is another question mark. Like I I respect what they've done. I respect that they've been competitive, but they have major, major problems beyond the Quinn Snyder part of it. The first thing is, what do you do with Rudy Gobert, who has four years left, including a player option in the back end? Probably going to pick that one up for almost 50 million. Um, four years left at 170 million. We have gone around in circles talking about Gobert and what he really means. Statistically, there are people that have argued absurd things for him. As much as I love John Hollinger, I don't think he has an MVP vote, but he said last year he had Rudy Gobert number two in his MVP. That's insane. That's insane from a guy that I think is incredibly smart about basketball. But I bring it up a lot because I, like, I want to I want to point out the extremes. Because of the plus-minus, the on-off, the defensive stuff, all the screen assists, all these things, right? It is a fact that it is different in the playoffs. And yes, it'd be great if some of the perimeter defenders for Utah gave a shit. I don't know what Donovan Mitchell's doing on some of these possessions defensively, and Conley's just not there anymore. So it isn't all on Gobert, like the Clippers series last year, where he's asked to cover the corner and the rim, and he just got worked. But this is an alarming trend here where you tell me Gobert is something and then I see all of these good teams, whether it's the regular season, decide to get him in every action towards the end because part of it's strategically to pull him away. Him covering all these three-point shooters and closing out him isn't fair to ask him all the time, but it is a fact now for six straight years, the Jazz have been worse defensively in the playoffs in the regular season and sometimes alarmingly so. Let's go through it. This season, they were 10th in defense, 110 per 100 in the playoffs, allowed 115. 21, they were third in defense, 108 per 100. That dropped to 121.7 in the playoffs. 2020, they were 13th in defense, slipped a little there, 109 per 100, dropped to 117 per 100. In 2019, they were the second best regular season defense, 105 points allowed per 100 possessions. That dropped marginally to 108. 2018, they were Number one in defense, 103 points allowed, dropped to 106. In 2017, they were third in defense, just under 105. They dropped to 110. So if you're telling me that Gobert is all of these things, I'll agree in the regular season, 
he can't be a 40 plus million dollar guy who anchors your salary and your team. So do you move on from him? I don't know. Does Mitchell factor into this? What you can't be doing is get rid of other guys to make Mitchell happy if Mitchell isn't going to be happy. Mitchell also has four years with an option on the last year remaining. I've not talked to one guy that's like, yeah, he's staying. Now, I don't know that that means he's going to leave immediately. I don't know if he's going to go nuclear option. I don't know that anybody will ever do what Ben Simmons did. Uh, And I'm not saying Mitchell would do that. But I want to be careful in how this is consumed. I'm not saying I know for certain he's asking out this summer because there's very different levels to this. I mentioned the Ben Simmons part of it. Harden is not shy. Uh, Other guys just don't like doing it. I mean, Kevin Garnett wanted to leave for years, apparently, but he didn't want to be that guy. And it was different then, too, because it was less accepted. I think Damian Lillard struggles with it a bit, but I've also been told that Lillard likes the idea that the franchise, like it's his franchise and he can kind of do what he wants. Not to say he's doing anything bad, but like he calls the shots. I don't know how long that'll last. You have to be a little pushy if you want to get your way. And I don't know if Mitchell is there, but the Sharks are circling. Before I finish the open, we get to our interviews. I want to admit something I'm not sure uh, other people admit. As a new NBA voter, I've, I want to change my vote about something, but it's obviously the vote is already in. After watching the Nuggets and Warriors series, I regret my vote. I think I should have voted Steph Curry sixth man of the year. The playoffs are here, and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook. An official partner of the NBA, FanDuel is hooking you up with free bets throughout the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you're a new customer or already have an account. Just be sure to check out the app for exclusive weekly same-game parlay promos. All right, let's do some damage, folks. So we've got Game 6, Memphis at Minnesota. Looking at just the straight line on this one, Memphis is favored by a point and a half at Minnesota here. I... I feel like Memphis is the better basketball team. I don't think that's a shocking thing. The other thing that we gave out, we gave out two unders, and they both went under. Uh, because of the high-scoring profile of both teams, this was set at 240 for game one, and then another time it was set at 230, and both went under. Uh, I don't know if the entire series has gone under, but they're still pretty high at uh, 228 is the total on this one at FanDuel. So the way these teams just beat on each other, too, has kind of, had a, a high number get exposed a few times. All right. Uh, there's also a double-double play for Brandon Clark, which is almost doubling your money on the odds there. And considering he jumped to 37 minutes and was the offensive rebound hero in Game 5, could be something you could look at. The first basket thing is just too dicey for me. It just is. So even if the payout is great by throwing that one in there, you have no idea what's going to happen on that, unless it's the Kendrick Perkins first touch Oklahoma City era where they ran it to him in the post to start every game. FanDuel has so many ways to play, and best of all, when you win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. New to FanDuel, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Once again, that's promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. And if you already have an account, you're all set to get in on the action. Either way, you'll get an assist from FanDuel when you bet a same-game parlay during the playoffs. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and older. Present in select states only. First online real money wager only. Refund issued is not with travel site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, 
or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK, 467-369-NEW-YORK. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789-TENNESSEE or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET, West Virginia. The first round of the NFL draft in the books and on the desk for the coverage. Booger McFarland joins us, friend of the podcast. What's up, man? It's good to see you out there. We got uh, 32 picks in. How are you doing? Doing good, man. It was good to be up there. Bummer that uh, our buddy Mel couldn't be there in, in, in person, but uh, hopefully the, the satellite feed held up all night and the viewers got their taste of mail. Yeah, I thought it I thought it worked out, man. Um I think the story does start at number one. I mean, people talked about, the, hey, this is going to be the craziest thing ever. I mean, there's storylines. I don't know if crazy is the right way, but you know, you'd heard rumblings that uh, Walker out of Georgia, the defensive end, was going to end up jumping Hutchinson, jumping the tackles there. But it's, it's a rather muted response to the Jags going in this direction. What was your take on why they picked him number one? Well, I, I just think that the, the fit was better, uh, Ryan. I, I think when you look at Jacksonville, they want to be – a super athletic defense, a super uh, twitchy type defense. And I just think that Trayvon Walker was the better athlete. I mean, nothing against Hutchinson. I mean, Hutchinson's a good athlete. He's six foot six, 260. He's kind of the NFL-ready defensive end. He's got all the moves. And I think Jacksonville and their defensive line coach, Brenton Buckner and Doug Peterson, simply said this. Are we drafting for right now or are we drafting for what this guy could be for the next eight or ten years? Because the upside on Walker is ridiculous. I mean, he's 6'5", 270, runs a 4'5", and he's raw, man. It's almost like you go and buy a Ferrari and say, you know what? I'm not going to drive it on the 5. I'm just going drive to it, drive it through Beverly Hills, up and down, and look at LeBron's house. I'm not going to open the Ferrari up. That's what Georgia did with this kid. Like, they didn't let him get on the 5 and say, go. And I think Jacksonville feels like when you put him out there and you give him the space and the freedom that other defensive end gets, he's going to be dominant. Now, that is a big, big bet. Because most of the time, we believe what we see, not what we can't see. We don't have faith. And everybody sees what Hutchinson did. And we really haven't seen the production from Walker yet. But if, if you believe in upside and you believe in what a player can be, not what he is today, I understand why they made the pick. But their defensive line coach, Brenton Buckner, who I know, who I played against, uh, he, he's, he's got one hell of a job to do. So when you watched Trayvon, you you saw like the glimpses the same way, you know, and I always use probably too many draft analogies with basketball where I can see like the 6'11 kid who can handle a little bit who hasn't made a shot. But I go, OK, but if he, this guy ever figures it out, like I get it. But it, so you see those things with Walker, you, you whether he, I mean, because George is almost this weird defense, whereas you pointed out, I think, on Twitter this morning, where after next year's draft, you could have seven of their 11 starters for this title team all being first round picks. Um, so it's almost it's almost funny that you feel like some of these good dudes can actually get lost because of their teammates. Yeah, it's uh, it's unreal, man. Like that defense is crazy. But to your question, yeah, I've seen it. I, I've seen the, uh, the flashes. Like if you go back and watch it and, and here's the game that I think if you if you want to say what game changed the mind of maybe Jacksonville, go back and look at when Georgia played uh, Michigan. I didn't I, I didn't know Hutchinson played to be honest with you, Rosillo. I didn't I, I, I didn't know he played in in the biggest game of the year, where your team is trying to make a statement and you're the best player in America and you don't make an impact. Like I, I think if you're Jacksonville, that kind of set in the back of Doug Peterson's mind and in the back of. Um, 
Brinson Buckner's mind, a defensive line coach, whereas, I mean, Trayvon made plays. Uh, he may not have gotten the sacks, the, the, the splashy plays, but, man, you go back and look at where he buckled that offensive lineman from Michigan, go back and look at the chase down play and some of the plays he made against Alabama. In the biggest games, he showed up. So, yeah, you saw that. And, by the way, you're a 6'11 basketball player who can't shoot, reference. Um, all I could think about was Ben Simmons, and, and, and we see where that's at right now. <laughs> <laughs> by the way yeah yeah i guess i don't know i don't know if that evaluation is still open to a tbd on that one um in fairness to hutchinson in the georgia game though and mm-hmm. we had daniel jeremiah on about this we had mcshay on it about it and i had asked him because i know they had talked about it i go like well, what did you see on film of hutchinson in that georgia game and they're like we saw a team build its entire blocking scheme around one guy uh so yeah but those yeah. are excuses man like come on like listen okay how you, many you, all how right. many times, listen, Rosillo, how many times do teams build their entire game plan around, and I'm not comparing him, but I'm using star player, team builds game plan around. How many times have we seen people build a game plan around Aaron Donald? How many times have we seen them build it around Steph Curry? Like, I can go on and on. When you're a great player, it doesn't matter what the other team does. You affect the game somehow, some way. So I don't necessarily buy into, hey, they just game plan to you're playing against dudes that are going to be farmers and accountants the next day. Like, it, I don't care if they put two farmers on you. Like, if, like, if, like, like, if at Georgia, Manhattan, I don't, I don't know how many of those guys can be farming, but well, Georgia's <laughs> offense is not great. First of all, I mean, let, let's no, I know, it. I know, but okay. It's like you going to Manhattan beach and you seeing two dudes over there and it's like, Hey, you gonna play some pickup basketball. And, and the dude, you know, it doesn't matter if they put two or three of them on you. You're going to score. It doesn't matter couple years ago maybe uh all right see but i do think the hutchinson thing it turns into like when he got crumpled on that left side and that becomes the tweet and then it's like hey this is big boy football and as pro sec as i am that's the sec argument that becomes like oh see it was this completely different thing i don't know i felt like those guys were emphatic about how specific that game plan is and by the way if hutchinson isn't aaron donald <laughs> all right like nobody's gonna be yeah your point is valid. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just felt like they were specifically over the top and pointing out something, despite your point of the game plan being like, of course, everybody game plans against the biggest. Who would you guy. have taken? Who would you have taken number one? You watch as much college football as anybody. Nicole these- Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that one. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I look, this is a weird, this is a weird number one. You know, so if there was a year to do it with Trayvon, then then okay. You know, I, I I remember the Mario Williams stuff. People were a little bit like, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? This wasn't Miles Garrett. You know, Miles Garrett, it, the only thing about Miles Garrett that people weren't sure about is when he came to ESPN and people were like, what's this guy's deal? And then it was like, none of that matters because he is an absolute game wrecker and he has been that since he's been in Cleveland. Um, but I remember when Mario was drafted, there was, it wasn't so much of like, oh, hey, Reggie Bush or Vince Young has to go to the Texans because there was a lot of that too. It, there was still a little bit of like, wait a minute, what's going on? But that NC State defensive line was like really good. It was really talented at the time. And Mario yeah. still had a really good career. He just, I don't think he was ever peak Miles Garrett. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's funny you bring up Miles Garrett because that's my athletic comp for Trayvon Walker. Now, he didn't okay. have the production that Miles had at, at Texas AM, but if you look at the numbers, and I realize that like your big numbers, you know, 25 on the bench, you know, 480 on the squat, whatever the numbers are. Um, I, I think Walker's numbers compare favorably to what Garrett's was. And I, I, I know somebody like you will appreciate that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause Garrett to me is like, you know, I'm not, by the way, when's Garrett. the last time we, 
By the way, when's the last time we squatted, by the way? Uh, I'll put 315 on just to see how it feels. And I'll do a, I'll, I'll close with that. I, you know, I'm getting to the point where I don't really know how heavy I want to go to prove any kind of Is that of a front squat? No, no. Okay. Back squat. Right. But for reps, I, I thought, it's not, not like I'm not okay. max squatting anymore. Okay, good. Are you okay with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, I, I stopped squatting years ago, so I just want to know if you were still doing it. Yeah, it's, it's fucking stupid. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, there's been t- there's been temptations to be like, wait a minute, you're feeling pretty good today. And then yeah, bump it up the, a little bit, huh? One of one of the trainers was like watching me. He's like, don't don't get dangerous, don't get dangerous today. And I was like, all right. I was like, I think you're probably right because he's just gonna fuck up your week. He's not he's gonna not gonna mess up the whole week. It's gonna mess up multiple weeks. Okay, uh, keeping this moving. Were you surprised we only saw Pickett go in the first round? Uh, I wasn't surprised we only saw one quarterback go. I was surprised that the quarterback was Pickett because Mike Tomlin has said all along he wanted like a dynamic athlete at the position because he's seen Lamar Jackson and what they do to him. Uh, Pickett's a good athlete, but he's not the athlete that Malik Willis is. But I think if you're looking for a quarterback that is safe, then you take Kenny Pickett. He's got, oh, what, 49 starts. He's played in 53 games. He's thrown a lot of football. Like, there's a lot of tape to go out and evaluate. And I think this is just the opposite of what we saw with Walker and Hutchinson. Because if you're Pittsburgh and, and it came down to Willis and, and Pickett, you said, I'm going to go with what I've seen to proven maybe better than what I don't know in, uh, in the upside in, in Malik Willis. I think Kenny Pickett's going to be a good quarterback. Mark Whipple, his OC, who I talked to, says, man, this guy's got all the goods. Like, he's got the makeup of a quarterback. And I think the mentality of the position is more important than the mentality of a defensive end. Like a defensive end, I want a dude. I want somebody that, you know, is, is I'm, I'm not concerned about your pay. I just need athleticism and a dude that has raw skills. At the quarterback position, like we've seen Chad Pennington have success. Like you don't have to have the strongest arm. You don't have to be mobile. You better have a very cerebral thought process and a, 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 an ability to make great decisions. And by all accounts, Kenny Pickett has that. So uh, good luck to Mike Tomlin. Kevin Colbert's last draft pick on his way out was a quarterback. And it's amazing. I, I, I thought one of the greatest quotes I saw is from Mike Tomlin. He said, we scoured the country looking for a quarterback. And in the end, we just walked across the hall and got the guy that was in our building. That's, that's a great quote, man. It could have saved a lot of, uh, a lot of dollars and a lot of frequent flyer miles. Was there a rookie that you remember Maybe it's a first-round guy with a high profile or whatever. Is there somebody that when you were playing, like day one, you went, okay, we got we got to do? Because I, I, I always love talking to you guys about that moment where you can do all the prep, you can make all the phone calls, you watch all the film, but you don't really know until you have them in your building and you're around them a couple of days. Like the, the, the real evaluation can be more important than those 24, 48 hours the first time you're actually lining up. Was there somebody that jumps out at you that you knew immediately, like, okay, we got somebody? Uh, yeah, it was actually an offensive lineman because that's who the guys that I go against. We took Davin Joseph out of Oklahoma when I was in Tampa. And like the first day the dude walks out and you look at him and he's got this barrel chest and he's got thin ankles and his, 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 like his thighs, like he just looked like a guard and he moved like a guard and he was strong as hell. Like I, I, I took one rep against him in one-on-one pass rushing. I was like, yep, I see it. Like you can see it. And conversely, there have been dudes that come out there 
drafted in the, in the second round or, or, you know, maybe third round where the dude takes two reps and, and we all just turn and look at each other like, like I, I, I truly hope there's more. I'm not going to name the guy because I don't there's want to get kicked off. <laughs> there's no one you're going to name? Oh, well, okay. Um, defensive being out of Louisville, Dwayne White. Uh, Dwayne was a second-round pick. And, you know, coming to our room as, as, as a defense, like we had Simeon Rice, like we had all these dudes that were first-round picks. And we saw him, and it's like he was kind of soft. He was kind of mentally weak. And, and, and it's like, hey, dude, it's 97 degrees in Tampa. Like, it's hot. Get used to it. Because, like, the first day he almost passed out because, because of the heat. And we're like, it's really all mental. Like, you're in good shape, but the fact that you can't deal with the heat. Like, he was one of the most mentally weak dudes that I'd ever been around. And the fact that he got drafted so early was, like, a, a real shock to us. because. We were used to dudes coming in that could absolutely go, like dudes that, that had a mentality that, that were ready to get down. And also, I've gone against guys in in um, in games, other teams, where my defensive line coaches say, hey, supposed to be that number one pick. Let's go show them a little something. Couple guards. Uh, and and that's those are the guys that I have the most experience with because I, I, I dealt directly with them. Uh, but players know, like you know within one rep, within one rep, whether the dude can play. Other than the quarterback position, because that position is, is different. But all other positions besides quarterback, you can tell within one rep, one movement, one little uh, interaction, you're like, yeah, we got something. Or I'm like, man, who the hell's drafting these guys? What was your favorite pick in the first round? Mm, I got him. Let me see. Um, I like Kayvon Thibodeau, and, and here's why. Because it's going to be a fascinating case, a fascinating case study, Ryan. Because this dude, I'm telling you, like I've, I've I've been around him a little bit and just watching him, man, you would have thought he was third, you know, three time first team All Pro and got 50 sacks already, and now he's going to New York, Rosillo. He's he's not going to Green Bay or Kansas City where he could just kind of lay low. He's going to New York, dude, and you're going to take a kid from California that went to Oregon who has this huge personality who's a little cocky, arrogant already, and he really, I don't know, he hasn't earned it. Now you're putting him in New York and that pressure cooker, man, as the old folks say, he's going to barbecue a meal do real quick. I mean, really, really, really quick. So it's going to be a fascinating case study because he's got the first, he's got the best first step of anybody. His first step is better than Hutch, it's better than Walker, it's better than Ojabo, it's better than them all. Uh, but he reminds me of Clowney, okay? So he, he, here's what I'll ask you, because I'd love to get your opinion. If I told you Kayvon Thibodeau, who was drafted at number five, was Jadavion Clowney, and you're a New York Giants fan, are you happy? Probably not. And it's Clowney's like a two-part conversation because of who the dude was at the beginning of South Carolina. Okay. Right? And then his last year before the draft, he was a different guy. And I actually not – I mean, it, it would it, – it speaks to maybe how competitive you are, but I also can understand. I mean, hell, Sting at LSU mailed it in towards the end because the guy was like, I'm just not going to play the way I used to play because I'm worried about my draft status. And I want to get to Stingley at some point here. So I think Clowney's thought of as generally as kind of a disappointment based on what we right. thought this guy could be. And yet he still had a really good career. I mean, the guy, the guy was still playing. So this isn't like some bust. This isn't somebody who's not good at football. He's very good. But we get excited about 
the unknown or hoping to see something we've never seen before. And that was the way we used to talk about Clowney when he first was in South Carolina. So if you just tell a Giants fan, you know, who's who's into it, like, okay, Kayvon becomes Clowney, I bet you they'd be like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. Which is what exactly. happens with anyone that's new. Every, I mean, hell, there's guys that go tenth that you're thinking, oh my gosh, did we get a safety for ten years? You're like, you might be, you might be not picking up his option in two. So, I agree with you. I think Clowney has had a very good career. Um, I, I think if if he would have accepted who he is, I think he would have. The perception would be different. And here's where Clowney is. Clowney is a great run defender who is an average pass rusher, who is very disruptive. And when you're drafted number one overall, you expect him to be a great run defender and a great pass rusher, and he's not that. I don't know if Kayvon Thibodeau will ever be a great pass rusher. And when you're drafted at number five, that's what you're expected to be. Remember Cleveland Farrell from Clemson? Yep. Raiders took him at four. He's a, he's a good, solid player. He's a terrible pass rusher. We label him as a bust. And so the expectations are driven in large part by where you're picked, especially as a defense being a quarterback, because those are two premium positions. But I think at his, at his worst, Thibodeau is going to be clowny, and I think people are going to look at him as a disappointment. Yeah, the Kayvon thing was a very predictable timeline of events. Like, I had heard stuff that wasn't awful, but it was, you know, when you have a different personality and you're a bit of a free thinker, football hates that. And college football is probably even more against it because people just don't like younger people that are thinking for themselves. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. I'm not saying it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it became kind of like, well, what's going on with this personality? And then it came full circle where then other people would jump in on the story and it'd be like, it's absurd this guy's even being questioned. And I'm like, I don't know what to make of it. You know, the Herbert stuff is one of my favorite ones because, I mean, it's, it's just a coincidence that happens to also be Oregon. But I'd heard all sorts of stuff from guys going, I don't know, man, when you're in the huddle and looking back at him, I don't know the other 10 guys are locked in. And now he looks like he's going to be one of the great quarterbacks in this league in the next 10 years. So it can happen where people are totally wrong about the personality stuff. But I would, I would always push back on people that think it just comes out of nowhere. Like this stuff doesn't right. just come out of nowhere. And it can be wrong, but you know, I, I really don't, I don't love the idea that it's just invented. Uh, let me, let's talk Stingley. Because if it's the dude we saw from the national championship game, going number three is probably too low. Um, but it's it's an injury. It's being in and out of the lineup. And yet he still goes number three, which I think, again, it's the mock process, so it doesn't mean it was right. But this ended up being on the higher end. So what, what do you think his story is now as an NFL player? Uh, here's what I'll say. Um, I think if you look at 2019, three is, is definitely, again, it, it's the floor. Uh, I mean, you could argue he was the best player in the country in 2019 as a freshman. And I think when you're that high, so young, there's only one way you can go. Like, I mean, everybody starts to pick your game apart. Mentally, you're like, man, I just need to reserve this lottery ticket. Like, why am I going to go out here? 2020 COVID hits, Chase opts out, uh, Burrow's gone. Like, all this stuff happens. Uh, Coach O is, I mean, it's a shit show down there. 2021, the Liz Frank injury, he tries to play through it. So, like, hey, like everything that happened in those two years, are not excuses, just reasons. And I just watched him at that pro day. And when he ran 4-3, and when he did everything he did at LSU, I I, I simply put that, uh, and, and I think I tweeted this out, um, he showed he's the best cornerback in the draft. Everybody said, oh, no, sauce, sauce, hot sauce, red sauce. Okay, whatever sauce you want. Hey, this dude is legit. Um, I was surprised he went at three, though, Rosillo, because everything about the third pick 
what the Houston Texans says otherwise. Lovey Smith, defensive coach. All right, when he was down in Tampa uh, with us, I, we were built with a defensive line. He went to Chicago. What did they do? Tommy Harris, Alex Brown, defensive line. Like, like they were going defense, and that's how he wants to play. Nick Casario at New England. When's the last time we've seen New England take a corner this high? I, I don't remember. So the two people in charge, they went against all their tendencies. And I love Sting. I think Sting's the best corner in the draft. But name me the last corner that changed the franchise. Dion, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's been a Woodson, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Jalen Ramsey to an extent, like – my whole point, it's hard. I really like corners. Trufant coming out. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, talking okay. about the first one. Like, I'm I'm going back to that Terrence West Coast Newman class. There, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, like a corner change in it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to have one, but. That's my point. Like, it's like, hey. Uh, but I'm in this draft, but in this draft, maybe this is where, where Sting goes third. Because there aren't two or three quarterbacks that everybody's fighting over. I agree. And and I can make the case that in a draft where, what, seven wide receivers went in the first round, who's going to cover those guys? You better get you some corners. So I, I see where the NFL is going. I love Sting. I'm happy for the kid because he, here's a case, man, where since the guy was 16 years old, everybody knew what he was and what he could be. And oftentimes, how many times have we seen that child prodigy, that, that person that had all the talent five or six years later not achieve what you thought they could? And so I'm, I'm super happy for him and his family that it's at 15 or 16, everybody saw it. And five or six years later, it came to fruition. So I'm happy for him because of that, because it's a life-changing moment. And it's a lesson to a lot of kids out there. Now, I mean, he's going to go into the AFC South and play for Lovey Smith. And, and Lovey's a great mentor for him. Lovey's phenomenal. I've seen Lovey mentor a lot of people, Hall of Famers, okay? Like Derek Brooks is, is a classic case. I saw it up, up close and personal. He took somebody with a ton of talent and, and he literally helped mold them into what they are. And, and, and they're still close today. But man, like th- this is a new NFL. OK, like like you better come in when you draft the third overall of the scrutiny. He's going to Houston. Houston is probably what is that? Four hours from Baton Rouge. Uh, so he's going to be close to home. Um, everything is set up for him. But now you got to come in and play like all that. Hey, I'm saving myself for the NFL. Like all that stuff is going out the window now. So. Good luck to Sting. Um, I think he's going to be really, really good. But it was a little surprising taking the corner at three. Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm looking around at your, your Zoom setup. And I, is, is this your master bedroom? No, this is not. This is a guest bedroom. Oh, it kind of looks like the master. You got a nice TV there and nice little comforter. <laughs> uh, you know, I like, to, I like the guests to know that uh, I'm taking care of them. Yeah, with no pictures on the wall. Love it. Well, what do you what do you? What are you getting on my case for? By the way, true font. I just hope that it's not taken as that I thought he changed the Seahawks uh, franchise. I just remember how much I loved him before the draft, right. and uh, that was two thousand three, a long time ago. All right, uh, give me your favorite wide receiver then. Um, I am a Garrett Wilson guy. Um, I, I just think that his his ball skills, his ability to separate, the way he can do things, uh, how he catches the football, he's a hands catcher, not a body catcher. Um, and I think the number one skill of a receiver is can you separate from the DB? Okay. Like, can you, can you get open where the quarterback sees you and can throw you the football? Like every job has a, has a, a bottom line prerequisite. 
Like the quarterback, you better be accurate. I don't give a damn if you can throw it 90 yards like Jamarcus Russell. If you can't hit, uh, throw it through the eye of a needle, it doesn't matter to me. Like a receiver, you better be able to separate. And Wilson can separate. I love him. That's the opposite of Drake London. Like Drake London, you're a USC guy out there on the West Coast. He couldn't get open in college. Everybody says, man, the contested catches. Listen, if you can't get open against uh, Utah and uh, Colorado and you're making contested catches against them, what are you going to do with Jalen Ramsey? What are you going to do with Carlton Davis? What are you going to do with some of these top-notch corners in the National Football League? That contested catch turns into a PBU. So Drake London really never entered my mind as a guy I would have taken as a first receiver. It was Jameson Williams, uh, Chris Olave, dudes that can get open. And in the end, Rosillo, Jameson Williams may be the best one of them all. He's the closest thing I've seen to Tyreek since Tyreek. Like, he's got a gear that I don't think the NFL has seen since Tyreek. And I I just hope that uh, Detroit can chill out a little bit, let him get healthy, and then uh, I don't know if Jared Goff's arm is big enough to get it to him, first of all. (laughs) But he better figure out a way to get it to him. Because when this dude is healthy, he's a big play waiting to happen. Yeah, look, I love Jameson. And I think there's a very strong argument if he doesn't get hurt in the title game, we're talking about another one for Saban. Um, and I, I think Wilson was the more dynamic of the two at Ohio State, where Olave is more the technician. Um, yeah. But I, I was not surprised. But I, you know, I would love to know, did you guys get any, I don't know if you can tell me this or not, because you also have the reporters and everything flying through. With it going Wilson 10, Olave 11, I imagine the Saints did pull that off like i wonder if they were going oh wilson went right here we'll take lave like i'd imagine if they're taking a lave there maybe their evaluations they liked him better for what they want to do um i don't know if you had any insight on that no i, I don't what i would say is that if you're the saints and you got michael thomas who's more of a, a 15 to 20 yard inside receiver it's going to work inside the quick outs the slants he's not a speed guy so you needed raw speed guy. like you needed somebody to go with deontay harris a guy who could be a, a, an efficient route runner to help Jameis Winston, to add some speed to the offense. You hope you get Alvin Kamara back. So I see what they were doing. You're getting something you need. You don't need another big dude. Like, you need a guy that's got some juice that can get in and out of his route because Jameis Winston has a chance to be their quarterback, not just the next year, next two years, but if he stays healthy, he could be their quarterback for the next several years. And Jameis loves to push the ball down the field. So I understand what they were doing. They went receiver. They went tackle. Two, two positions of need. Because quiet as it's kept, Rosillo, when I talk to people in New Orleans, you know what they say? Hey, we've beaten Tampa Bay four out of the last five times, all right? And if Tom Brady coming back makes them the favorite, then what the hell are we? What are we when we've dominated them four out of the last five five, five matchups? So New Orleans think they can win now, man, and, and they, they drafted that way. I love the Hamilton pick just because I love him as a player, and then he ends up going to the Ravens. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, I you guys said something on the desk that I did think was interesting, and it's you know the the forty time thing of four five nine. I think it's a little overblown because that's not the way he looks on the field. But will he stay the same size? Because it's six four two twenty, and when you put up the graphic too of where he is lined up, we're not talking inside; we're talking linebacker, middle linebacker, slot. I mean, it's insane how versatile he was in college. But I do think you guys are on to something being like, you know, he's going to want to hit the weights. He's going to want to work out all that stuff. But he can't really let himself get much bigger, I wouldn't think, if he wants to remain that versatile. 
No question. And like these kids typically don't stay this like, like it's right. natural. Like as you get a little bit older, your body fills out, uh, you start to put, kind of put the muscles on a little bit. So let's just say he gains, he gains like seven, eight pounds. Now he's 228. He's almost 230. Like that's outside linebacker. Like he's better at or near the line of scrimmage. Like I know everybody goes back to the play against Florida State and like, man, look at the range. Twitter goes crazy. Top I did. Five, here we go. Sorry. Uh, trust me, I saw you. Top five. Here we go. Look at this range. But that's really not his game. Like center field, Ed Reed, like that's he's more of, and I'm not comparing comparing him to 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 Troy, but Troy was always so good as a playmaker, Palomalu. Kyle Hamilton wants to be that same type safety. Uh, he doesn't have the range as Troy. He doesn't have all that, but he has that mentality. I want to be at or around the ball. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It wouldn't surprise me in two years if he is 6'4 and, and 229, 20, 230, and it's like, hey, where are we going to put you, big fella? Like, let, let's, let's come down and be that, be, that, uh, be that nickel linebacker. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why we see him go to the middle of the first round because he was as productive as any, I think, defensive player, like impact-wise over the course of games. No, there was an injury there as well. Uh, you mentioned the receivers early, so I don't need to do it all over again. I don't know that there's ever been a receiver class where I was like, yep, love that guy too, which may be a bit more of a testament to how wide open the game is everywhere. But like, I love Jahan Dotson and what he pulled off with Penn State yeah. uh, this year. And, and Traylon Burks was not only just the production, but when you watched Arkansas, you're like, that guy – he makes basketball plays on a football field. Like, all right, enough of this. Like, I got to do something. I got to figure out a way to, to get us get us a huge play, uh, especially with a younger developing quarterback in Jefferson. So that's another part. Like, Traylon wasn't exactly getting favors here from somebody that's going in the first round when he comes out of the draft. Uh, I'm going to keep it moving here because a couple more things before we finish up. The Cole Strange pick to the Patriots, it's, it's right out of the playbook. I do think that Belichick likes to do things that are different. Um, I think in a weird way, he almost likes to make things harder by trying to do something different to prove something. But last time he did it, just as Mel mentioned on the broadcast, you know, when they drafted Logan Mankins, everybody's like, what the hell is going on here? And Logan Mankins is a terrific interior offensive lineman. And so if there's going to be a way that I imagine the Patriots are going to get it right versus getting it wrong, this isn't a receiver. If he's going to be drafting a guard that's a bit off the radar, like then he saw something. And I'd imagine that it is going to work out. It just comes down to a matter of value and whether or not you thought you could get him later, which Belichick said he thought he would be gone by the time they picked again. Let's say he's right. And let's say he gets a really good guard. He already had one. And uh, Shaq Mason, they traded him to Tampa for a fifth-round pick. And Shaq wasn't making $20 million. Shaq was only making like $7, $8 million. So let's say he's right. Like, did your team really get better by tra- trading a proven guard? A guy who played a lot of football for you, a guy who was really, really good, trading him away for a fifth-round pick? Like, I, I don't – like, I, I question the pick. Like, how come you didn't just keep Shaq Mason and get – like, your quarterback needs a receiver. I love Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne the tight ends, but like you need a dude. Like they need a number one, a they guy hate, that can dictate coverage. They hate they number somebody. ones. They okay, hate number but they also there. hate winning. <laughs> I mean, if, 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 yeah. if post-Tom Brady, if, they got to think different. Like Brady made everybody so much better. Matt Jones needs some help. He needs a number one dude that can help make him better until he matures, you know, whatever he's going to be. No, that's the, that's the counter to all of it. I mean, they're, they meet, Belichick's been terrible with the receivers um, drafting. I mean, it's it's atrocious, and yet they could always get away with it because they had yep. that guy back there. And to, to say, hey, we're going to have the same philosophy, and they went on the spending spree when they were kind of like 
you know, zagging during free agency last year and they had all this cap space, but I don't know why, you know, we'll see. Look, there's still six rounds to go here, so it doesn't matter. It's just classic Patriots to move around a million times and then take somebody that nobody else thought would go that high. All right, two things before we finish up. I have to ask about N'Kobe Dean. It, it started, the rumbling started happening more and more of like, this guy isn't going to go in the first round. Uh, when I watch them, his instincts, the impact, I know the knocks. I still can't believe it. Your take on it. Um, I, I just think that he got caught up in a position where he was often the best player on the field on Georgia's defense. Uh, but when you look at all the other guys, his measurables were probably the worst. Yep. 5'11", 227. He reminds me a, a lot of Jonathan Vilma. And in this day and age, uh, there was on, there's only certain teams that want that type of back run and hit backer in that defense. He's like a uh, he's a small middle linebacker or a small weak side linebacker. Um, and, and I just think he got caught in a situation, man, where there was a run on the receivers. The defensive lineman jumped out. His own linebackers on his team were more NFL fits. Like, if you look at Tyndall, Quay Walker, I mean, Quay Walker is built. I mean, he's 6'4", 240. When he walks off the bus, you're like, yep, that's a linebacker. That's what I need. Like, when Nicobe Dean, you know, like, you look at him, you're like, is, that, is he a fullback or is that a big tail? Like, you don't really, you don't see it. Now, the production is there. When you watch him play, he jumps off on tape. But I just think when you look at him, you're like, okay, how how can he be the same type player? Like, we're going to have to get Jordan Davis-like players in front of him where he could just run and hit. And I think that's what he got caught up in. Now, I do think he'll go in the first five picks today. Uh, I think he'll be early. And I feel bad for the kid because, you know, he, he came to uh, came to Las Vegas, brought his family and all that good stuff. And that's always a bummer when these dudes get all dressed up and you got 20 people in the green room. And it, to me, like, like this is the moment. And, and, and follow me here. The camera goes to the guys that aren't getting picked. They're like It's like pick 27. And it's still 10 guys in the green room. And they go to the green room and everybody's all the agents on their phone. Everybody's looking down and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, nobody's calling right now, dude. Like, just chill out. I always find that moment funny, funny when the cameras go in there. But uh, he's a good player. It was a disappointment. But nobody remembers where you were picked once the draft is over. All they remember is, can you play? And I think for him, he's got to go in with that chip on his shoulders. Uh, it's been a lot of small linebackers. Vilma, Sam Mills, Derek Brooks, guys that weren't 6'4" guys that can run, guys that made all pros, Hall of Famers, um, he'll be fine as long as he keeps that mentality. I only had one question, but you mentioned Derek Brooks again. What was it about him? Because um, I got to know him a little bit at ESPN. Just the way he carried himself. Like Once you just spent five minutes with him, you're like, okay, this dude is a little different. And that can happen with a lot of you guys, especially on the defensive side of the football. But what was your... Whether it was the moment or getting to know him, I imagine you're pretty close, but just kind of like, you know, everybody says, oh, this dude's different or this dude's different. But Brooks has something with his personality and his eyes and the way he, and he was always cool as hell, but you could just sort of tell, like, this is the kind of guy I want to go to war with. He is the only guy that I've ever played with on defense that looks at the game and prepares like he's a quarterback. Like he's always looking at the fine details, the minute details. You know how, like, and, and I always use Peyton Manning because he's the most famous guy comes to the line of scrimmage, and he's looking, he's pointing. Apple 52, Omaha, like he's doing all those different things because he sees it, he knows it, uh, he understands it. He's almost a step ahead. Brooks was that way as a, as a linebacker. And you combine that with a guy that could run 4-4, a guy uh, that, that could tackle 
in space, a guy that could cover. I mean, he, he was he was a prototypical outside linebacker in a four three, and his ability to to cover and, and turn interceptions into touchdowns. Like he won Defensive Player of the Year. Dude, he scored what he scored five touchdowns that year, something like that. Like it was like it was it was stupid. His demeanor, though, how he carries himself on and off the field, is, is unreal. Um, and he learned from John Lynch. He learned from Hardy Nicholson uh, how to be a professional, like how to be a pro, man. And it's a mentality. Talent only gets you so far. The mentality in which you carry that talent ultimately takes you places that you never thought you could go. And and some players have both. And the rare ones have that plus innate ability when the moment is big, they play. I thought a very underrated pick was the Jets when they got Jermaine Johnson. Because something he said to me, um, or not to me, but to the NFL Live crew, he said, when the moment is biggest, that's when I want to get down in my stands and I want to get a sack. He's like, I love the big moments. And this dude, I mean, you go back against Clemson when he had a sack fumble, scoop and score a touchdown. Like, if you look, he was the ACC defensive player of the year. It's, it's something about dudes, Rosillo, when the moment is big, like, they want the ball. Like, they want the ball in their hands. They want, they want to make the play. And you know this from basketball. Like, in crunch time, and I always, use, I always look at this because, you know, he's an LSU guy, but Ben Simmons. Like, Ben Simmons don't want the ball in crunch time. He don't want it. Like, he, he's, he's scared to shoot it. And then that's, that's not talent. That's mentality. And I, I, I think that Derrick Brooks and players like that, man, it, it, it is something that is ingrained and learned. And um, you can't teach it. And when you recognize it as an evaluator, when kids are in college, you, 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 you got you to gotta grab a hold of it. And it's hard to recognize. That's why I think the Jets had the best draft. I know you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This is a bonus. So you, so you can sell this as like a little teaser. Um, Love it. I, I, think, I think the Jets had the best draft, man, because they arguably got three of the top 15 players in, in the first round. Um, Sauce Gardner, a little handsy, but hey, he's a big corner that can cover uh, love, lo- love what he did there. Um, for them to get Jermaine Johnson, uh, I mean, you you could argue like I would listen to you if you said that he was the best defensive end in the draft. I'd listen. I might not agree. Uh, and then to get Garrett Wilson to help your young quarterback out. I mean, you get three of the top fifteen players. I think Joe Douglas should should really sit back and be like, you know what? Hey, my job is done. I'm going fishing today. <laughs> Last thing. What's it like for you being out there, you know, Vegas, first round, main desk, the coverage? Uh, you know, I I like you a lot as a guy. It's just, you know, those are those little moments in the career. I think you kind of, you know, count it down, looking around and going, all right, I'm sitting here. This is awesome. You know, Rosillo, it, it's cool, man, because um, it just means that, that, like, somebody believes in you, dude. Like, like when they put you in, in, in the prime position, they're saying, hey, we think you're the best or what we're about to do right now. And, 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 and that means a lot, especially in your career when you're doing different things. I don't care whether it's a podcast, whether it's on TV. I don't care whether you're on the golf team and the coach puts you out first in, in, in a match. Like, that means they believe in you. And I think that's always a cool feeling. Um, I haven't played football since 2000, what, six or seven? And I mean, it's, it's been 15 years. But there are certain times and certain moments where you're in position on TV where the energy uh, it's palpable and it, it, it almost feels like you're in the game again. Like you get, like there's nothing ever close to running out of tunnel that I'll ever experience again, but there's certain moments, man, where it's like, yeah, 
like I'm in the mix again. Okay. When that football song played on, on, uh, uh, that intro song played on Monday Night Football and we're about to come on TV. Yeah, like, 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 I mean, the, like the hair stood up on my neck. When that music starts playing and Greeny is there and you hear Mel and we're talking, it's the draft, and you realize that, dude, that's, that's 10 or 15 million people watching. Like, it means something. And, and those moments are special. I don't take them for granted. Um, but once the, you know, once the red light comes on, now it's just time to be me because that's the reason they got me there is it, to be me and, and have some fun and mix it up. And um, I enjoy it. Don't take it for granted, man. But it's a good feeling when you're, when you're wanted and you're put in positions because people believe it. Well said, Booger. Uh, enjoy it. Again, by the way, the draft uh, will start 7 Eastern round two with all the guys live from Vegas on ESPN. Thanks, buddy. All right, later, dude. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for, are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television. Because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Matt Ryan, quarterback. Colts. Um, yeah. All right. So that's how we're introing him. Okay, Matt, let's uh let's let's get to kind of the timeline of all these things. Where and and when did you know? Where were you when you found out you've been traded last month? So uh, I was at home. I was in Atlanta uh at the house. Um I, I, I knew it was gonna happen. Um you know, I guess it went through on a Monday. Uh and, and I had meetings with the Colts Saturday night. I had requested um, the opportunity to kind of look into my options and uh, had a good meeting with them Saturday night, talked it over with the family on Sunday and, and knew, you know, Sunday, Sunday afternoon that um, this was going to happen on Monday. And uh, so I was at home, but uh, kind of knew it was coming. Right. This is different. This is not an NBA trade deadline. And all of a sudden your phone gets blown up and you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? So you know, somebody who's been in the league, certainly with quarterbacks, more of the movement. So I do want to get a deeper understanding of that. Uh, I think it'd been flirted with the idea that maybe you would ask out or Atlanta would try to do you a favor with all these landing spots. Like how, how was it different this off season? How does it end from season to meeting with Arthur Blank to meeting with management and going, what do we all want to do here where we feel like we're all on the same page and we, we get a result that we're all happy with? Yeah, I think the end of the year, um, th there was nothing really different you know it, it was how do we get better what do we got to do next year what are the pieces we gotta you know add um and then it always you know every year is different around free agency and so when free agency starts to pick up and, and they start to look into what they want to do um i kind of got filled into the loop that uh they, they were going to look into deshaun watson um you know 
uh, and then at that point, I, you know, I said, okay, you know, I understand, you know, um, but I also need to look into to what I need to look into. And if this doesn't go down, find out if this is probably still the, the best fit for me. Uh, and as that week went on and, and just, you know, kind of looked into on my end, what might be the best possible landing spot or what was the best for myself and my family moving forward. Uh, as we did that research, to me, it became, you know, one spot. And you never know, though, in that situation, whether or not that one spot is also going to feel the same way about you. And, you know, for me, fortunately, they did. And and they have, you know, the, the belief uh, in me and, and what I can bring to this team. And, um, you know, so from that standpoint, I think it worked out perfectly on my end. From what I understood on the Deshaun Watson part of this was that it was understood like the night before the Cleveland thing happened is that it was Atlanta and that it was done. And then Cleveland added on all sorts of extra money and Deshaun ends up there. If that pursuit isn't as aggressive for Atlanta, are you still a Falcon? Um, you know, if it had none of this gone down, there's probably a chance, you know, a pretty good chance. Um, but it did, you know, and so, you know, when it does, when the situations change uh, and the circumstances change, you know, I, I had always thought, like everybody, when you're drafted there and you play there, this is where I'm going to play my entire career. For 14 years, every day I woke up, it was to, to try and help the Falcons win a championship. And, uh, you know, that had been reciprocated on the other end for me. And so uh, when that changed, uh, you know, I had to look into it. And, and it's certainly been, you know, a, a big change, you know, for sure, but a good one. And, and so um, it's hard to say, but I think honestly, you know, it's, it's, it's more than likely I probably would have still been there had, had circumstances been different, but I'm excited with where I'm at. Yeah, and I think this is the disconnect that we always have is, is you know, in the NBA, again, I'll use that example because it's starting to leak into the NFL a little bit with quarterbacks where we see a situation where we're like, well, that guy has to get out of there. And so for the last couple of years, as the team wasn't as competitive, we're like, oh, well, you know, they should trade him for picks or he must want to get out of there. But it's the sense I get from you is that you never felt that way, that you were always kind of happy to show back up and, and be the face of the Falcons. Yeah, I always, I always thought there was a great responsibility that, that came with that was, you know, you were going to be a part of turning it around. And, and it's disappointing, you know, when you're going through it and you're not winning games, it's hard. Uh, th there's no doubt about that. But, you know, I, I always felt we were closer than we were far away there. Uh, you know, I always thought it was another piece or two and, and you know, a win here or there and, and you're in the playoffs. And, uh, but it just never shook out like that. And, and so um, my family was growing at the time, too. So, you know, all, you, you factor in all those things that, as you're going through it. You know, I, I, I loved every minute of it. There, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, not bitter about how it ended. But um, from the football standpoint, I'm, you, you know, I do feel a sense of energy, like a rejuvenation that, that comes with going into a new place, new team, really good football team, great teammates, a lot of talent, you know, uh, in the building. And that, that part, you know, that part is really, really exciting. So what did Ballard, what are the coaching staff, what did they say to you that made you go, okay, like I'm doing this? I had a meeting with them on the Saturday night before I got traded. We were on you know, a Zoom meeting for a couple of hours. And, and, and one of the things Chris started the meeting with was a rundown of his, his time in Indianapolis. Uh, and it wasn't a highlight reel. You know, it was, here's some of the things I've done well. Here's areas, you know, I feel like we, we've excelled. 
here's some of the things I, ma- I made mistakes on, what I should have done differently. Uh, and Frank, very much the same way when he, you know, got his chance to speak about, you know, the football team. And I, I like that, that sense of, of self-accountability, of uh, taking ownership uh, of things. I, I, I try and be that way myself. And uh, beyond all of the other things that they had to pitch, which was give football team, great place, you know, great fan base, great city. Um, I, that, that part to me was, was, was the part I really liked. What is true about the Peyton Manning part of this story? Like, did you, did you reach out to him about what it's like to finally turn the page and, and try something new? I did. I, I, I called him, um, you know, he, he's, he's been a, a good friend to me throughout the years. And so early in that week, um, I just, you know, called him number one to say, you know, uh, we were in similar spots. I mean, a little different, but similar spots, 14 years in the same place. Um, and, and, you know, what are some of the things you have to weigh when considering, you know, wanting to do this? Uh, what are some of the things to expect if you go through the transition? Um, he's always been a great resource for me, you know, from that end. And so I had a really good conversation with me, uh, with him and, he was really candid the entire time. Uh, and, you know, I'm thankful, thankful, number one, to have him as a friend and somebody you can reach out to because he's got such a, a wealth of experience specifically, too, uh, in this situation. On both sides, to be honest with you, too, on, on the, the first side and the second side. Yeah, because, I, right. I mean, he's, he's, I'm looking at it from the veteran, you know, new, new chapter, new surroundings, and yet we're talking about the most important cult of all time. So what did he tell you about the city and, and the franchise and, and stuff that other people just can't tell you? Well, you know, he loved it. He loved it here. Uh, loved living here, loved playing here. Um, you know, it's, there's, it's, a, it's a cohesive building. Um, you know, there's, there's not fractions in it that are going in different direction. Everybody's, everybody's really rowing, you know, the boat in the same direction, which I think is, is so important. Um, even, even to afterwards about, you know, contacts, you know, for this, contacts for that. Uh, he's, he's just been, he's been awesome to me through, through the transition. And, um, but, but really it was about inside the building, you know, the people that are still there. He's still close with some of the new people that, that are uh, in the building, you know, since his time there, I think they lean on him uh, and value, you know, his his opinion on, um, you know, all things football and, and all things football operations. And, uh, you know, so he had, he certainly had unique insight into things. Legend has it that when Manning was trying to figure out his next spot after leaving the Colts is that he met with Harbaugh and they were like, what are we going to run? And Harbaugh's like, we're going to run what I want to run. We're going to run my stuff. And <laughs> Which is, if you know Harbaugh, like, yeah, okay. And then I, there's another part of the story where Harbaugh, like, was basically comparing his arm to Peyton's post-surgery, being like, eh, you, know, you know, it's not that far <laughs> off from where you're at. Uh, and then I'd heard the Denver part of it where Denver, and he asked Elway, and Elway was like, we're going to do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do is what we're going to do, and that's what we'll run. And Manning's like, okay, this makes more sense. So your situation going into it where you want to be appreciative, you know, but you're still thinking like I can play. How important was it for you to not always be the good soldier with it, but like knowing there's going to be conflict in, in how you see the game or what you want to do and, and knowing that like, I have to come into this 
from a position of strength and not a position of, you know, help me keep my career going, which you certainly, you know, you're not in that second category, but I think there's some balance there of standing up for yourself, but also wanting to be a good new teammate as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, part of that was, was talked about in that Saturday night meeting of, of, you know, they, listen, they've done things really well here uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and they've ran the football and been big and physical up front. Um, but there, you know, there, there's also some things I think I can bring to the table. Um, you know, I've, I've been in really good offensive run schemes that married up the play action pass really well with it. And, um, you know, I've done it with different coordinators. You know, I think that's one thing, you know, it, it's hard when you're going through it as a player, but when you have a lot of coordinator change, I think it helps you later in your career because as you go through transitions, you have this smorgasbord of things that you've done uh, throughout your career. And you can kind of pick and choose the things you liked along the way uh, from each of them and, and, and try and, you know, incorporate that into how, you know, how this offense is going to work. So I got a good sense of that from the start of, of it being collaborative. Um, I certainly understand, you know, Frank is the head coach. There's no doubt about that. But uh, as a former quarterback himself, I think he values input from that quarterback position and, uh, he wants to, he wants to put you in positions to to feel you know comfortable and to go to what you know to you know go go to what you know in in certain situations. Where are you right now as a quarterback? Because I you know and I'll answer a little bit before I get your answer. In that, I know that I've been a defender over the years. Um, because I don't know, it, it just seems like well, hey, you know, this is somebody who still has some time left, and I felt like people were were kind of talking about like, oh, well, you know, maybe you get a pick here or there for him um and then i look and see what like brady's doing or what rogers did after what looked like a down year and then turns it back into mvp seasons like i i kind of know what your answer is going to be but i feel like there's probably a massive gap between maybe some perception outside of watching you um as you get a little bit older and probably how you feel about how many more years you have left yeah i mean i feel like i should still you know play at high level uh my body feels as good as it ever has you know i think there's reasons for that i think the rule changes have helped guys like myself or you mentioned a tom or an aaron uh, the way they protect the quarterback is is certainly better than what it was early in all of our careers. Um, I also think, you know, I've done a good job of of taking care of myself. I've been lucky, you know, to to not have had, you know, any real major shoulder or back or neck injuries, uh, you know, which can can derail you a little bit. So I feel like there's, you know, still a lot of football in front of me and, and a lot of really good football in front of me. And, and you know, I'm excited you know, to be a part of, of a team where, you know, there's other guys to lean on too, man. You can turn around and hand that thing off and uh, JT can go for big numbers for us. You've got good wide receivers, good tight end, great offensive line, really good defense. Uh, to me, you know, that's one of the things uh, that has me most excited. Can I ask you about, um, you know, the difference between having, because I, I guess we kind of look at it and go, all right, what is the Shanahan impact, right? Because it looked like that was some of your best best offensive output, and then you can see what he's doing in San Francisco, depending on what you think of Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm not going to ask you that, but uh, is, there a, is there a level that he is at where you go, okay, this is, this is different? Like, I'm just trying to understand something most of us would never understand with having a play caller and a coach like that who seems to have, like, people that really understand the position will say, no, no, he's just different. What's the best way to describe that or explain that to us that don't get it? You know, when Kyle and I were together, um, you know, he, he was awesome. Uh, but, you know, he's 
there's no question about it. He's a great play caller. But, you know, I think that the two things I think of were number one, he pushed me outside of my comfort zone, you know, pushed me into a spot of, of asking me to do things I had not done prior to that. Uh, and, and, and trusting him uh, that I could, number one, do it, but also number two, uh, it was going to work. You know, these, these, these route combinations were going to work. And then number, number two, the thing I think he's exceptional at is he knows his scheme so well. Um, he knows exactly what kind of players he wants for specific spots. Uh, and, and his talent evaluation to me is, is, is really good. Like, your X wide receiver should look like this. His skill set should be this. The F should be this. The Z is this. Well, I want my tight ends to move. And he's, at, you know, he's able to adjust to certain guys. There's no doubt about that. But I think he's very good at finding ways to get guys that fit what he does well. Can I ask you about 28 to 3? <laughs> you want to be the first. <laughs> I've answered it a few times. Um, what was that night like? Uh, it sucked, you know, what'd you do? Um, we had, so they had the thing that's messed up about when you lose the Super Bowl is they still have these like Super Bowl parties and you're like, yeah, I'd like a few drinks. There's no doubt about that, but I'm not really here to like, I don't really want to bullshit. I just, you know, have my drink, uh, and go to bed. So it was, you know, I saw family, uh, everybody was kind of miserable. So everybody, you know, it was like, Hang in there, have a good night. You know, we'll we'll catch up whenever I can talk. And and so it was um, it was a tough night, you know, for sure. Uh, you know, and but it's part of it, man. You know, somebody's gonna feel like that at the end of the night. It was it, it's probably especially rough the, the way the game shook out. But you know, at the same time, I do think you become you know tougher, more callous. You know, those kind of things for for having gone through something like that. Yeah, it's a great point about the parties because the teams have already set this thing up ahead of time. Like they have musical <laughs> acts planned, like the whole deal. And it's like, well, all this money's been spent and it's very private. It's a hard thing to get into. This isn't like some Maxim deal in the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a high-end party put on by ownership. And so you're still supposed to go. I mean, I've heard about these things. Do you, don't you end up having like younger teammates? They're like, whatever, I've been in the league like two years. It's not like it's all on me. So let's have a great time. And it's it's got to be like a really weird thing to deal with. Yeah, it is. You know, the Falcons luckily had me set up like with a private room too, like a like a private conference room or whatever for my family. Just so if we won, we could have kind of bounced through. And so I actually never made it to the big party. <laughs> I uh, I was in that you know that that smaller room, and then uh, you know I was up in my room, you know, in the hotel not long after that. Because everybody's trying to figure out the right thing to say to you. And yeah, there, there isn't nothing. a right, right? There's nothing. Everybody's trying their hardest around you. Like, I will give people credit for that. They're trying to, to make you feel better. Uh, but you're in that, that spot where you, you just don't really care what anybody has to say. I know. I, I don't want to sound weird here, but I sent your wife a note. I felt so bad. And <laughs> I think she was like, wait a minute, because we're both from the same area. <laughs> She's yeah. like, you're probably a Pats fan, you asshole. So, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. She's like, oh, it's nice, but like, eh, is it really that nice? No, that was nice of you. Yeah. Do you think playing at Boston College makes it a weirder topic than it already is in, in some weird way? I don't know if that was ever part of like 
I still have to hear about this in a, in a different way that's probably more annoying because of my connection to the state. Probably comes up more, you know, oddly enough, because we're back there, you know, visiting her family and, and in that area. So you're like, geez, you know, we have to go back again. I'm going to hear about that again. But uh, there's a lot of layers. Wait, wait, I- wait. Okay, so you're back where she's from. Again, you know, we're talking Cape and Islands areas here. So yep. has anybody, when you're out in the Cape, has anybody ever said anything to you that you didn't love when they recognized that it was you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. Give me a story then. There has to be one. Or probably plenty. Uh, but. I remember I was actually up there for a buddy's wedding. Um, he got married in Marblehead, Massachusetts. And so we were in Marblehead. and we were at like a, you know, it was like the uh, rehearsal dinner or whatever the night before. So it started at the dinner and then it went to this bar or whatever. And we were in there, I was kind of standing, minding my business in the corner. And somebody in there is like, this is Tommy's town, Matt. Like, get out. And I'm like, dude, I hear you. Get it. And then, you know, 28 to 3, that kind of stuff comes up. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm here for a wedding, man. Like, <laughs> I'm here for a wedding. So uh, it's all good, though. It's all good. No, that isn't, that isn't all good. That's that guy. I, this is the part of the disconnect between those of us that care about sports and like the guy who actually plays and was in the game. Like you actually think because you bought a hat that you can talk, <laughs> you can talk to me like this. And then yeah, you haven't heard about it. It's all good. It's, it's, you know, I, okay. I say that, but luckily he was, he was not a part of the wedding. He was, he was not a part of the wedding party. So it was just, we kind of overflowed into this bar and it was somebody else. So I'll give him at least credit that I didn't know. So he wasn't trying to be funny. He was trying to be like serious. I think he was kind of serious. Yeah. I think he was a little bit serious. I was like, all right. Uh. <laughs> I was with all my college buddies. So I was like, all right, boys, it's, uh, it's time to go. Let's, let's go somewhere else. Did they want to kill him? I, they, it's, it, the night's fuzzy. <laughs> But that part for me was not fuzzy. All right. Last, last thing on this, I promise. But you, you know, as I first started asking about it and you're like, yeah, here we go. Um, I don't know. Everybody's different, right? Like some people could be haunted by it. Some people could be motivated by it. You talked about the calluses, you know, yourself. Um, the haunting thing could actually be, you know, there's, there's a point that it goes past motivating you to try to fix something that can't be fixed, you know? So I, what's the best way to explain it to us of like going through something that's never going away, but using it, but also not having it be used in a way that's detrimental to the rest of your career. Yeah. I think that here's the thing. Like I'm not, I don't replay it over and over and over in my head every night when I go to bed. Um, it's just, it's just not it. I think one of the things I I did after that was to go back, rewatch, and then also make like notes from the entire week, the lead up, all of those things on when we're back there, when I'm back there, what are the things I learned? What can we do better? And, and so I feel like one of my strengths throughout my career has always been that, you know, good or bad, being able to, to turn the page. That's obviously, you know, more difficult. Um, but I also feel like losses are wasted unless they're learning, you know, opportunities, uh, unless you're better for it. And there's a lot to learn you know, from, from that experience. And, you know, certainly you know, I'm in a position now where if we were ever to, to get in, you know, that position again, 
you know, what, what great, what great experience, what, what great lessons to have learned and, and to be able to teach people moving forward. This feels like a good pairing for, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but I think you're going to be what the seventh different week one starter at quarterback in, in seven years for the Colts. I think that number's right. And when I read it, I was like, wait, that's, that's crazy. But you know, you're 36 years old. This is, this is not Philip Rivers at the very end. This isn't, you know, we're, we're trading for somebody the other team is ready to move on from, which maybe it feels a little bit like that, but it, it feels like a marriage where it's like, no, no, we're trying to get this right now. We're doing something different, but we're also going to try to get this right. And that's going to be that at least when you're talking about rowing in the same direction, rowing the boat in the same direction, that at least from the surface feels like what this marriage is about right now for you in Indianapolis. I certainly feel that way. You know, I, I you know, from the beginning, feel you know, was honest, like I, I feel like there's a lot of football left in the tank. I know my motivation, my competitiveness uh, is is the same as it's always been, right? And, and it's a, a passion to be the best I can be, um, to work at it every day, and and to try and you know do whatever we have to do to win games. And and so, um, you know, I know I know I have a lot left in the tank. You have to go out there and prove it. You have to go do it. You know, every year. You know, I I also understand that. Um, but I do feel like you know, hopefully I can bring stability to the position, you know, in, in this city, in this organization uh, for however long I can do it. I'm rooting for you this year, man. I'm, I'm happy that you've found a place that, um, you know, I think you're excited about. So uh, can't wait to check in and, and see how it goes. Thanks for the time. You got it, brother. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Uh, Kyle got engaged. We got that. We had another question about your fitness journey. I feel like this is a quick answer. What about it? What happened to Kyle's fitness journey? The Nigerian guy? I've been waking up early doing some solo stuff. Um, little jog What's walk solo thing. stuff mean? Jog walk Planks. thing. You know, sucks sucks jogging. Uh, kind of hurts the knees a little bit right now. So I'm going to wait until it doesn't hurt to really ramp up to a run. But uh, what can you do doing that in the morning? Um, but yeah, no, that that's never. I saw the, um, my, my friend yesterday, but we didn't work out, if you know what I mean. You saw your Nigerian friend yesterday, but you didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you buy like supplements and stuff? Never. All natural, all natty. Yeah, respect it. So that's it. There's no, there's the journey's over. It never, it never left the harbor. Pretty much, yeah. There's always time to start, right? So your guy's not bugging you anymore, though. Like he's not. 
Like he was, he seemed pretty gung ho on getting you in the gym. No, I mean, honestly, it, it was fell away pretty quick. Fell away pretty quick. I mean, the guy's got kids, mm. he's got a couple jobs. I think it's more of a relief that I didn't, I think he's more relieved that I didn't stick to it more than I'm relieved that he's not still bothering <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where he was like, yeah, we should get you in shape and then immediately regrets it because he realizes what the time commitment would be. And he's like, all right, I'm just not going to say anything. Kyle doesn't say anything. I mean, half the time he comes How, like, a, like an hour and a half, two hours late to work anyway. And the guy's behind the bar is like, what the fuck? There's no, I'm like, I'm checking IDs. I'm like slinging drinks. This is crazy. So if, you know, I would have been pissed off if actually I had to show up to work out with him. And he's like, oh, yeah, 40 minutes. I'll be in there 40 minutes. Like, all right. Well, this won't, this won't happen again. So I think if we just saved all of ourselves disappointment all around. How many appointments were actually scheduled? Probably I could count on, maybe I would need two hands to count, but wouldn't need more than that. So more than five, less than 10. Yes, unless you exactly. Have abnormality. That's correct. From birth. So more than five times you guys said, tomorrow's the day. Yeah. Or Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday's great. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday's the day. <laughs> Whatever. And then crickets on the text chain. Correct. Correct. <laughs> You're basically playing a game of chicken to see who doesn't, who responds first. Were, oh, how many it. how many of the appointments were scheduled after beers? Well, all of them? Most of them. Yeah. Most of them for me and maybe one or two of them for him. Yeah. Okay. No, look, we've been there. A lot of great plans have been made over beers. Yeah, we should start a business. No, you no, no. You got to start training for like the beer. Don't, don't they have like those beer 2Ks where you drink a beer after every like, you know, mile or kilometer or whatever? Yeah, I feel like that's awful. I think, I think I need, I need more water than the average bear if I'm uh, exercising. <laughs> so I think, uh, I, I don't think you ran out here. I didn't know. No, no, I do not. <laughs> yeah. You just hear him talk about his knees. Now we're going to throw in a couple. Well, he's working his way up. He said once his knees don't hurt once. You know? Yeah. All right. Um, Some icy hot. Figure it out. Here's, here's the other part of the fitness journey. You were at least mentally kind of gearing yourself up for this. And it sounds as if whatever that was, whatever that wiring was about those days, that doesn't exist. Like that was, a, um, it was, it wasn't a workout fad. It was a thinking about workout fad. You know that it did. It was, it was thinking about like going hard, but then also now that I was, I was still excited to like work out. I've got some 30 pounders that I wish were 25s. Uh, and you know, in my house, dumbbells, and you know, I wish I wish I didn't. I wish I wasn't like, yeah, probably, probably thirty is is for me to start out again. Uh, I wish I wish it was less than that. But so I have that, and also I wake up now. I wake up super early. Um, and usually just roll out because of bed, and I've got like a three hour. No, I mean yes, but also because. <laughs> but when it's normal yes. and we start at like eight, it's like I'll wake up at I'll roll out of bed at like five forty five, and I'll just do like a three mile walk jog thing and um oh yeah damn. i'm doing that now now yeah, i'm doing that that's a, all right we take it all back because I, I know that this felt like a, a collection of soft jabs at you and now you're telling me you're doing power walking in the morning before the sun yeah i'll, might I'll run a, yeah i'll run across the uh yeah. the crosswalks and if there's like some a, a few tents i'll maybe i'll pick up the pace but yeah it's been uh it's been good you don't like camping huh okay this is this is a full circle of like now there's tons of respect. You're doing stuff. You're out yeah, there. You're moving stuff. around. Don't worry about the 30. Why can't you work yourself? Look, curling 30s out of nowhere. Yeah, that's no isn't fun. A great time. It's not a yeah. great time. That's what I mean. <laughs> 30s is a lot. Uh, what can't you just do some, just maybe some, some bench stuff and just lay on the ground? I saw some video about some guy who's like, I guarantee he'll never get hurt, and he because he just always makes sure his range of motion is never elbows below the shoulders maybe you just do some stuff like that ground. jesus i guess Lie so. on the I mean, ground what do i know yeah why not maybe you could do some some front deadlifts with them 
you know, like just <laughs> all right, moving on. Okay. Uh, before we get to a couple of these, Saruti, do we have an announcement as well? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I'm pretty excited that starting in October, maybe November, I will be able to say as a parent on this podcast during life advice. Yeah, I know. Some people are like, hey, you know, wait a bit, like, wait a big up Kyle. You couldn't let him have a week or something. I'd swear we didn't plan this. Kyle's super happy for you. But yeah, my wife and I are having a baby. So baby girl. I heard that too. I didn't know what the fuck this guy was talking about. That's awesome, dude. Congrats. Thanks, man. Doing Halloween. Somebody's like, what the fuck Um, is Rusilla going to do now? So do you got anything to say, Ryan? Or uh i uh i don't know i'm looking at boats getting a boat that's what i'm thinking <laughs> maybe a boat <laughs> looking at boats so uh you know we'll we'll see awesome we'll man. see all right well congratulations to rudy this Thanks, is man. this is crazy know, big, yeah. big adult week on the pod god uh, guys are guys are growing up all over the place it's, it's pretty all crazy. Growns up i don't know that i ever loved i only think i like when vince vaughn says all growns up i think everybody else sounds like an idiot when they say it like only Vince Vaughn is cool enough to be able to pull that off. All That's the time. fair. That's fair. Okay. All right. Let's get some advising in. This is a really good one. Really good one. It's complicated. Hey, Ryan, 5'9", 180 and rising. Getting old sucks. Can get buckets if left open. I have a dilemma. Bought a house a few years ago. Decent neighborhood. There's an apartment complex across the street. Not ideal, but it's fine. At the start of COVID, I purchased a basketball hoop. I play regularly and wanted to stay in basketball shape as all of my seasons got canceled. A few months ago, a few of the neighbor kids from the apartment complex started playing on my hoop. I'm guessing around middle school age. At first, they came around when we left the house. We have a doorbell camera, so we could see it, but gradually became more constant. I finally went out to talk to them to say it was fine, but there had to be some ground rules, the typical stuff. No fighting, don't break anything. But I also asked that they be done by seven as I have a two-year-old whose bedroom faces the driveway where they play. To say they've taken advantage of the situation is an understatement. They now play every single day from 3.30 until 7. And all day Saturday and Sunday, there's always at least one kid shooting, usually more. The dribbling of a basketball is all we hear during our waking hours. Bikes are always parked in the lawn. All of our solar lights around our planters are destroyed. The lawn around the hoop is completely torn up. I can't imagine what will happen when my wife plants her usual flowers in the front lawn. Mm-hmm. I think we can imagine. Yeah, what's gonna it's not going to be good flowers. for you, pal. Just start putting cactuses out there. Cacti. <laughs> the plural yeah, of uh, pricker bushes. <laughs> With all that said, they're good kids, exclamation point. They quiet down when I ask them to. They're usually good about leaving at 7 p.m. They wave at my daughter when we get home from daycare. All good stuff. Man, this sucks. sucks man. It sucks. My question, even though I truly hate it, do I just let this happen knowing it's probably a good thing they're outside playing in a safe environment rather than whatever else they could be doing? Am I a jerk or honestly just not wanting... Uh, Am I or am I a jerk for honestly just not wanting them there all the time or feeling like their parents treat my house like some sort of after school daycare program? I really would much prefer they are not there, but I'm not sure I can just tell them to leave. How do I handle this? Uh, This is I think it's like some people are going, it's not impossible. You tell them to leave and some people are going, what are you going to do? I think it's great that you care this much. Clearly reading the email like this is a dilemma because you want to you want to help the kids like you don't want to be the guy in the neighborhood. That goes, hey kids, fuck off! Literally, know? get off my right. Lawn. Yeah, right. And <laughs> they're kids, and they're they're junior high kids. You could come up with something where it's like, if they're respecting the seven o'clock thing, can they respect off days? Can we get some DNP? 
load management in there for yeah. junior high kids. I <laughs> Every other weekend. Yep. I don't know if that's going to happen. The lawn part of it. Here's what I know about. They don't mean to trash your solar lights. They don't mean to trash your lawn. They are kids. They just don't Again, get it. Guy, They'll never get it. I had two 14-year-old roommates here for a week. There were some things that you would go, what the hell are you doing? And I didn't say it out loud. It was also weird for me as a as as a recluse to have activity like that. But then I would go, oh, the reason he did that is because he's a kid and you don't, you know, you don't worry about it. But this is tough because your daughter's going to get older. Your wife is going to get more annoyed. Your lawn is going to get worse. And these kids are going to get older. And they're going to start smoking cigarettes and stuff. And this, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? So I would try. But again, you know, this is like when one of my roommates from college came to visit me to work in construction during spring break because we didn't have money to go anywhere. So we decided to make some money. And my youngest sibling at the time was very, very young. And he was crying. And my buddy's like, can you tell him to stop? I was like, are you a f- <laughs> like, like you're the youngest, huh? In your family. Can I tell? Yeah. Let me just go pull him into the side and have a, have a, a one-on-one with him. I'm like, Hey buddy, I know you're two, but my roommate from college is really just not into your crying. It's really inconsiderate. So I, I really don't think I have an answer to this one. I, I don't, cause I don't want you to tell a bunch of kids to stop doing something that they really enjoy, which is clearly what you don't want to do either. We can talk about parameters, you know, having this day be basketball day. You know, I think it's kind of great that you've allowed it to come to this. And like I said, that you care, but it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And for me to say blindly, tell them to never play at your basketball hoop, I don't want to say that. And for anybody else that says you can't do that, all right, put a hoop up at your house and have all the neighborhood kids come by. And that's just how kids are going to be. They're going to be like, this is awesome. It's a basketball hoop. Like, let's go. This is our hangout. This is what we're going to do. But to have it be all day, every weekend, and then every day, 3.30 to 7, that's going to drive the nicest person crazy. And I don't know that you can pull that off as your family, you know, keeps moving on in the family process. We can ask Rudy about this now. Yeah. So a couple months from now. But uh, I just remember back in the day, and I look back on it now and I'm like, how did my friend's parents not hate all of us? Like we would break couches, <laughs> pool liners, like everything. And you're, and they would just be, you know, and there was never really any like real repercussions. And I just, you just look back and go, how did, how did they not get no more annoyed by that? And I guess when you're, I, you know, first time I'll throw it out there, when you're a parent, you're probably just happier they're around, right? And like, you know, you can kind of at least supervise and see what the deal is, but, and you don't want to kind of ruin their happiness as long as they're having like good hearted fun. So I think that's kind of it. I think you just kind of have to deal with it. Right. But you as a parent now, you're only seeing it through the parent eyes. Like these aren't his kids. So yeah. he's not, you know what I'm saying? Like I can understand you thinking that way when your daughter has all her friends over and you're like, well, at least it's at our house so we know what's going on. But these aren't even his kids. This is a tough one. And I and honestly, anybody that sends a follow up saying they know exactly how to handle this, maybe you do. You probably don't. Yeah, either. you could end up getting your house egged or TP'd or whatever. But I mean, it's and they're probably not even those kids. I have one idea, and it's gonna uh, it's gonna take one second. I'm a big comedy club guy. What if you could work out something like the red light, where you don't have to go and they'd be like, "Hey guys," be like, "Hey," you just tell them like, "Hey, listen, when the when the sound plays or when that shit in my window starts blinking or whatever, it's time for you guys to get out of here. And like, and sometimes it won't go on. Sometimes it will. Like you could just be like, whenever it's pissing you off, you just push the thing and be like, Hey, either respect the light or one day this hoop's going to be turned around the other way or something. I don't know. Like, I, I don't hate do the that. light idea. I don't, I don't think they're going to listen to you. 
Yeah. And then there'll be, and by the way, there'll be some parent in the other complex is like, oh, red light guy's on. You know, it's like, okay, well, it's his house. Yeah. Correct. That's because no matter what, the more you start to expand the the number of people involved in this activity, there will be the one parent that actually will find a way to blame you for what you've done here right. at its core was a really great thing. And you'd like to find a way to still have this happen. You're not saying just shut it down. You're not saying take the hoop down because I can't do it anymore. I'm just, there's no way this isn't going to get worse. And I feel for you. Because you're in a really tough spot. I mean, maybe you could take the hoop down and put down, like, what, baseball? And it'd be like, kids would be like, oh, this sucks. I was just trying to think of an activity. Badminton. I'd be over there every day. I'm in. I'm in. Love, I love badminton. All right, let's do another one here. I do. do we, I guess we covered it in that. That's to, complicated. But right? To your point, though, like about the baseball thing, like you can just give kids like raw materials and they find a way to fuck shit up. Like it doesn't even matter what it is. Like they're just going to do it. <laughs> All right, we're getting a lot of is this stealings, and this one uh, hits close to home. So I want to I want to do this one. Five ten and a half, one seventy, twelve percent body fat, um, but minor knee arthritis. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I was like, man, five ten and a half, one seventy. I wonder how his knees are. Oh, okay. minor, there minor, though. minor. Okay. 12% body fat. First time, long time. Hoping you guys can help sit on an argument for me. Buddy of mine goes to Chipotle three to four times a week for the past uh, several years. The last time I went with him, he was grabbing napkins and utensils, then proceeds to put an entire bottle of Tabasco sauce in his to-go bag. <laughs> Tabasco sucks anyway. Why are you stealing Tabasco? Cholula? Are you Cholula guy? I'm a, no, I, I'm a Louisiana hot sauce guy, but that's not, okay. neither here Whoa. nor there. Oh, go Tigers. Like vinegar based sauce. I was dumbfounded and immediately called him out and accused him of stealing. His argument is that it isn't stealing. Is that they don't put any of those plastic to-go sauce cups out for him, just put a little in. And they don't have Tabasco sauce with him behind the counter in the assembly line to put it in his burrito for him. He says he takes an entire bottle once a month or so and then uses it for the rest of the month and says it's part of the implied cost of his burrito. I think this is asinine. He should just pay the $5 at the grocery store for his own Tabasco. Am I crazy to think that this is blatant stealing? No, your friend sucks. Okay, because once again, this is one of those theories that I propose is that if everybody fucking did this, then and by the way, because people do this, this is why when you go to some Chipotle's, they don't have it out anymore. There was one in West Hartford, West Hartford Center when I used to live there. Guess what happened? They had Cholula out and everybody liked throwing on the burrito and then guys would just take their own. Right? The kids from Hartford would come over, not the city of the college would come over and be like, all right, well, I'm just going to take this. It got so bad at the West Hartford one. They had to actually stop putting out like different utensils they'd only put knives out there or forks but they couldn't put spoons out you'd have to ask and i'd be like what's going on like we have to keep a lot of the utensils behind the counter because the college kids would just be like cool utensils for the rest of the month and so i get it because i remember being young and thinking cool utensils salt shakers pep guys started stealing stuff from the cafeteria left and right that's a cafeteria tuition's going up implied cost maybe i can hear that one a little bit because all this younger all these younger kids are getting destroyed anyway it actually reminds me of this like the selfishness of of how people can be. There were recently, I forget who it was. I think she was in the media and she said something about loan forgiveness as we're talking about tuition. And she had said like, I just paid off my college loans. And if this debt forgiveness is enacted after, I'm going to be so pissed. It's like, fuck you. That's not the point, is it? Is it? Because it's hilarious how some of this stuff plays out publicly. It's like, you want debt forgiveness because you think it's a really good thing for this younger generation that continues to be forced into absurd uh, borrowing 
against ridiculously rising tuition costs. These schools just keep jacking. It's awful. Okay. It's awful. No one should be on the other side of this argument. Fuck the bank stocks. Okay. <laughs> but this one person was like, I'm all for debt forgiveness, but if it happens after I paid off my student loans, I'm going to be mad because how it infected, how it affected me, how it impacted me, the one person. No, a greater good is about to happen, but you're mad that it's going to happen to you, that the timing was bad for you. All right. And I understand if it's if you're in this, if you're in this spot, like, oh, that sucks. Yeah, it did. But it's actually a greater good for everybody in this. Again, next generation is getting hosed, not only in the housing crisis, but being forced into debt because of ridiculous tuition. All right. So Pivot that back to this. Still everybody, <laughs> right, right. Still in hot sauce. Back to Tabasco. Green or green or hot. Um, no, this girl's tweet. It just it was it was so ridiculous because you just go. I guarantee you were all for this until you were like, oh, actually, it's gonna like it'll be inconvenient for me though. I'm like, yeah, right, all right. So, uh, yeah, your friend's a stealer. He steals shit. And this is stupid and it sucks. And him him being like, oh, I'm low on Tabasco. Time to steal another bottle from Chipotle. And it's all factored in. I mean, it's great. You go three or four days a week. But you're the reason why there's other ones that we can't even get a plastic knife unless we ask for one because of you. So way self-centered, probably an only child or the youngest that asks his, asks his friends, kids to tell their two-year-olds to be quiet. And I mean to say acts. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it just sounds like one of those people that walks around feeling like they're owed something. Like the way I look at it, it's like when you buy something from a place, like what you get is what you bought. I mean, yeah, there's some other things, but it's like, oh, well, they didn't, they don't do this. And their whole system doesn't allow it for it automatically to give me a little mini Tabasco or they don't automatically hand me this thing. So this is, this is what I'm owed. It's like, really, you, you, what you bought and, and paid for is what you got. There really isn't anything else outside of the transaction. So if you're, if you're like not happy with how, something went after you already did the transaction and you just think that you're owed more like that's on you and you should live with that. But, uh, and if what you decide to do is steal, then yeah, you're a stealer. And uh, I think it's a, I think it's a terrible red flag, like weird about bills with roommates. You know, he's the kind of guy's gonna be asking for a raise after four months. You know, what's the vacation? You know, he sits in the interviews like what's the vacation program here? Um, I red flags all over this kid. I don't even like him. I don't even know. Him. <laughs> I, I agree with you guys. Um, but I need a ruling. Uh, on on maybe my, some of my behaviors because I don't know if this if this kind of like uh -oh. crosses because I think the thing is this is a, it's not like it's a it's a it's a full bottle of Tabasco sauce right so that's the difference it's not like a miniature thing you know like in some takeouts they'll give you like that little mini bottle of Tabasco it's not like you're taking a bunch of those no like, that's for 40. example right when I go well, this is pre COVID I guess but when I would go to Taco Bell. I would take like two heaping handfuls of fire sauce and just dump them in my bag. Oh, they used to do that anyway. It was a lot of sauce, but I never really thought that that was that bad about myself because they were individually wrapped. Is this just because it's like a big bottle? Yeah, it's a communal yeah. thing. Totally. Yeah. And, yeah. and Taco so, Bell's notorious for throwing like a bag of sauce, like just a bag. You just get a bag of sauces anyway from them in that drive through sometimes. So. Yeah. I mean, fire sauce is legitimately fire and it, the, they do bottle it, but it doesn't taste the same as like the packets that you get from there. So like I, I always go in, I like, can't do it anymore because, you know, you can really only do drive through. But so it's just because it's in a, in a regular size bottle. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And Taco Bell, you pick the Taco Bell and they're the most liberal with their sauce giveaways. So, yeah. So yeah, yeah not fine, the dude. same you're, thing. You're, you're you're within the the bounds of the law in this one, I think. Not the same thing. Nothing else to add. <laughs> Anything more on Jake? Get, get a new friend. <laughs> Anything else on banks? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I've even owned some bank stocks, but I, you know, sometimes when I look at the value of something, and you go, "Well, 
you know, there, there was, there was concern this, the stock price could go down if they changed the loan program. You're like, well, who's, you know, nobody's going like, hey, this guy's on CNBC. Be like, okay, I, it'd be great for debt forgiveness. It'd be great to figure out a way to change the borrowing of students. Be like, yeah, but do you know what's going to happen to this bank? <laughs> like, no one, no cool. one cares unless <laughs> yeah. you own that stock, which is another cycle of selfishness that's happening. Be like, I'd love for kids to have some debt forgiveness, but I have a large position in this one bank that actually deals in student loans. So I don't know if I want that to happen. Anyway, we covered all this on the debt track <laughs> yeah, we thing did. Yeah, we with totally that author did. where we got into the cycle of like something that started sort of altruistic with Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was like, look, I needed to borrow money. You know what? Do you guys want this history lesson again? I'm going to stop. I can't believe you took the bait. I can't believe you took the bait. I'm very passionate about it. Very passionate about it. All right. Uh, we will uh, talk to you with Bill on Sunday because the playoffs have been awesome. And I'll be back on Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates.